If you as a woman in your career don't fit in, it's because you're too big for the existing model. Traditional roles were never created to contain the fullness of a fully engaged woman. We are made to expand the possibilities. We are made to take up space and create more room for ourselves and each other, to roll down those professional, quote, spanks and create spaces large enough, brave enough, open enough for the fullness of who you and all women really are. Welcome to Messy and Magnificent, the place driven women come to elevate their career, health, and relationships. In here, we increase your productivity by replacing always being busy with the space to breathe. Hear your own wisdom and be part of a sisterhood that has your back. My name is Carly Fain, and together we're going to make sure that you have a doable plan and the roots to rise. Why, hello there. Welcome back to Messy and Magnificent. Or if you're joining us for the first time, hey, I'm your gal, Carly. I just got off a call with the head of our school in our Boundary Academy, Dana LeMay, and we were talking about somebody that she knows that just shared a story with her recently that sounds like a story I have heard thousands of times. Tell me if this is familiar. But she knows a woman who runs her own company. She's had it for a number of years and she cannot take a vacation to save her life. And even if she does, even if she carves out a little bit of wiggle room for herself or her family, her phone is ringing off the hook. Emails are coming in the whole time because there's fires for her to put out at work. And so even if it says vacation in her calendar, it sure as heck doesn't feel like a vacation when she's on it. Actually, taking time off can feel like even more of a burden for a lot of high achieving women because now you've got to do all the prep to get ready for the time off and all the catch up once you get back. And of course, you're never really off, even though if your calendar says so. I'm curious if that is familiar for you. Years ago, it was certainly familiar for me. And this is a really good example of the kind of thing that accidentally sabotages our ability to sustain what's good, right? So if you've got a career that you like, or you've got a project you're excited to work on, or a relationship that you enjoy investing time into, but you're finding it's difficult to sustain it, well, you're in the right place for today's conversation, because this month we're talking about sustaining what is good. On our last episode, we looked at this in kind of a macro level. What gets in the way for women in general, especially in this moment of COVID, when we're talking about sustaining our careers or our jobs or what it is that we care about. In this episode, we're going to look more specifically at your own unique experience and how to make sure that the progress or the work you've put in and that you're doing is sustainable for you. And there's just no way we can talk about sustaining success in any area of our career, our health, or our personal lives without talking about relationships. See, in terms of having to do it all yourself, which is a common thing that a lot of us have experienced that whole pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, if we want something done, we've got to get it done ourselves. kind of mentality, it served us for a period of time, right? It got you here. But that having to do it all yourself thing, that is exactly what prevents us from getting to the next level. It's how we begin to plateau. It's how a lot of women 
report feeling stuck or feeling like they work plenty hard and yet they're not getting where they want to go. So I'm not here to act as your primary advice giver. (laughs) I mean, I would hope that some advice I would share would be helpful. But here's what we found to be even more effective than that in my 15 years of coaching. It's making sure that you get to hear your own wisdom because you know yourself and your situation better than anyone. You do know, or at least have a hunch, if it's time to set out on your own and start something and bootstrap it like we've all done at some point by getting something going yourself because nobody else is going to do it for you. Or if you've been doing things, a lot of things for a long time and it's exhausting and you're feeling like you're stuck in molasses even though you work plenty hard, then we're going to talk about professional allies today. In fact, Notre Dame and Northwestern University did a joint study, and I'll put a link to that in any other study I mention in today's episode, where they discovered that a tight group of female friends is the number one indicator of a woman's professional success. Isn't that wild? It wasn't necessarily about how many resources she had, how many hours she worked, or any of the other things we often attribute success to. It was about how well she was connected to other people. And I just got to pause right here for all my introverted sisters out there. I, at my core, am an introvert too. Here's the really great news we're finding about networking. It is not about being out in the world the most. It is not about having the largest network. It is about having an intentional and open community of other people that you are connected to on a regular basis in a way that feels good for you. And we're going to talk about that. But here's four signs that perhaps you're ready to be in this conversation about having professional allies with me. Number one, if you're circling without landing, meaning you're going round and round with the same ideas in your head, but you're having a hard time either starting or following through on them. Number two, you're second guessing. You chronically second guess yourself and that self-doubt can be crippling. Number three sign that perhaps you're ready to have some new professional allies is you've got what I call molasses syndrome. Molasses syndrome means it feels like things are moving through molasses, meaning it takes far more effort than it should to get things done. And finally, good old being foggy. Being foggy is one definite indicator that it's time to have professional allies because you're having a hard time getting clear and taking action on what the next best steps for you should be. Now, here's the four things about all these symptoms of being ready to have some new professional allies is that they're not signs that you're doing something wrong. But if they are starting to mess with your game and really slow you down or keep you running in place, then it's time to do the one thing that high-achieving women usually dread until they start doing it and see the results. And that is allowing yourself to receive help. And if just right now you got a little queasy just thinking about asking or receiving help, I hear you. That is one of the symptoms of those of us who have been doing the most for a long time. And this conversation is going to flip that on its head and hopefully make asking for and receiving help one of the most confidence-inducing, power-giving, productive, and downright casual and easier-to-do kind of thing for you. So here's what we're going to cover on this episode. Number one, how women go about acquiring money and power. Number two, the three obstacles that are unique to a woman's business or career. 
And then number three, we're going to go over some very specific strategies and alternate paths to success that women are using well to overcome the actual obstacles that we talk about here. So first things first, before we dive into that, this is the part where I get to give you a shout out. And if you know me, then you know that meaningful human connection is my jam. And I think that is what the point of good business is for, that we help elevate each other. And you know, for me, this presenter who's used to speaking in front of audiences, working with people in a live format, it's a little strange to podcast, (laughs) if I'm honest sometimes. Because it can feel like it's just me, which it is not. We have 17,000 listeners all over the world. And so we've been thinking creatively about how we can include your voices in the show on a more regular basis. And we said, hey, if you want to leave some thoughts about an episode, you can send a voice memo over to Anitza, A-N-I-T-Z-A, at everybodythrive.com. And there's a link to Anitza's email here in the show notes, wherever you're listening. And just let us know what you're thinking about. And lo and behold, we had a wonderful woman send in a clip. You're about to hear a note from Sandrine, who listens in from Zurich, Switzerland. The Messy and Magnificent podcast is definitely one of my favorites. At the moment, I'll plug that in my ears while I'm cleaning the house. It's just perfect because I get to move my body, feed my mind with always good Yeah, good inputs. And I can really say I followed the podcast since its beginning. And man, it's so rich. It's so good. I love being part of the conversation. So a big shout out to you, Carly, and your team. I am so grateful that you have a podcast that you're sharing with the world for free. Oh, Sandrine, I appreciate you on so many levels. Thank you for being with us from the beginning and breaking the ice in this new way of adding more voices to the show. I think this is just the coolest thing. Your enthusiasm and your interactivity with me and our podcast community has brought so much richness to the conversation, Sandrine. And I also just want to point out that I love that you're adding your body to the conversation when you listen, that you're moving around the house and that you're doing things. It's just so easy to live from the neck up, right? I mean, we can forget that we have this entire body that is really supporting our work and there to help us make decisions. And as it happens, Sandrine owns a sustainability store in Zurich, Switzerland. Their ethos is to make sustainability easy So how perfect, Sandrine, to have your voice on this episode as we talk about professional sustainability and how we navigate our careers for the long haul in a way that gives us life. So Sandrine's store in Zurich is Shea Mommy. I'm putting a link to that right here in the show notes. Go check her out and support the work she's doing. Sandrine, I so appreciate that you are showing up for yourself and all women in this way. And hey, if you're listening in, I encourage you, follow Sandrine's lead here. Send a voice memo to Anitza at everybodythrive.com and tell us how you listen to the podcast or one thing that stood out to you from an episode, because I would love to give you a shout out on an upcoming recording too. Every woman who showed up, it was obvious that everyone added to the experience. And also it seemed to me like everyone had a profound takeaway. You sign up for these, you know, these webinars or these courses, but this is different. You actually are showing up with a group of people. People, we're human. We want to interact. 
going into the Boundary Academy, I didn't realize where I needed boundaries in my life. Boundaries is such a large word. So to be able to scale that down and to see how like boundaries don't have to be big and scary. They don't have to be intimidating, but that they can be a part of who you are because they're, they need to be is what I think I didn't see coming, but that is so rich and so wonderful to be able to carry on into the rest this year and the rest of my life. These are the voices of women who have attended the Boundary Academy. This is a group coaching program and ongoing community that I run with 14 women from the Council of Boundary Makers. And together, we welcome women who used to be like me, people-pleasing overachievers who secretly feel behind because you know you're capable of more, but you just don't have time to get to it with everything on your plate into the arms of sisterhood to make sure that you finally have both the time and energy to get to what you care about without being pulled in 10 directions or feeling guilty anymore. Because here's the thing, a life without boundaries is not your own life. But having boundaries is definitely not about armoring up or having to be fierce or have big hard walls between you and everybody else. I think the thing I continued to take away was this perspective that boundaries are not walls. That can be intimidating to say, oh, I'm gonna sign up for Boundary Academy, but I don't know if I'm ready to put up those walls yet. And that's not what it's about. Boundaries actually are between you and you. It's looking at where do you need to create a boundary for yourself? And because of that, that it's softer. It's not trying to hide you behind a wall, but instead, help you bridge across a situation. You see, all my years of research and coaching women in the territory of boundaries has taught me that it's not that setting boundaries is hard. It's trying to set them alone that makes them so tricky. So instead, we use proven methods and good old sisterhood that gives you both the resources, the clarity, and the confidence to have the best career, relationships, and health of your life without it having to feel like as much work as it is right now. The doors to enroll in the new class open on May 17th, 2021 and promptly close on May 28th. So this is your window. Head on over to carlyfane.com to get the full scoop and free instant access to the Boundary Brunch with me, where you can learn what is and isn't working for women in the territory of boundaries right now. This is the last time we're going to open the doors at our introductory rate, so I hope to see you in the full academy soon. Because boundaries aren't something we practice later when we have more time. Rather, we get our time back when we practice boundaries gently now, and it's how we get the later we really want to. That's what people need to know, is like when they feel like they can't rise up, we're here to lift them. All right, as we get into the meat and potatoes, or I'm a vegetarian, so the uh, tofu and kale of this episode, listen to what Kayla Stoner from Northwestern had to say when she did a study looking at the gender composition and communication patterns of what predicts women's leadership success. She found out that more than 75% of high-ranking women maintained a female-dominated inner circle or strong ties to two or three women with whom they communicated frequently. In contrast, men with a larger network, regardless of gender makeup, are more likely to earn a high-ranking position. 
So I think this is really interesting. With women, it wasn't about having more or the most or the largest network. It was about being deeply connected to an intimate few women. Doesn't news like that just feel so good (laughs) to know that doing the most isn't always the best thing, that it's okay when others are going big and wide to just go deep and focused? I know that that kind of thing speaks to me. It also corroborates the number one thing we're going to talk about here, which is how women go about acquiring power and money. Now, this research comes to us from a dual study done between Harvard and the University of Simmons. And they interviewed people in kind of a binary gender way, men and women. And they tried to see first what their interest was in money and power. And as a woman listening into the show, I imagine you're not surprised at all that regardless of gender identity, all people report that they would like to experience money and power. (laughs) It's something we all appreciate. But here's where it got really interesting. Asked why they wanted money or power, men reported an overarching answer of for power's sake. So the goal was to have power so that you have power. Now, when women were asked why, the overarching answer was to support people in their community. They said things like, I want to be able to pick the school my kids go to, or I want to be able to take care of my aging parents, or there's a need in my community that's not being met, and I want to start a nonprofit to fund it. So the reason for having power and money was to support others. Now, the way men reported going about getting more power and financial stamina was through a set of hierarchy, meaning your boss is a boss is a boss, and the goal is to be the top boss. But women, on the other hand, reported moving in a more lateral network in just connecting with other women around them. And there was this sense that there didn't need to be as much hierarchy if whoever's in charge would just throw back a rope and support the next person coming on up. So in other words, it wasn't about being the top boss. Rather, there was a sense that when one of us rises, we all rise. We all do better when we all do better. So I think this is really important to understand for many women that this is the natural set for their both interest in having power and money. It's in order to be of service to themselves and others. And the way they go about it is being connected to themselves and others as opposed necessarily to domination or hierarchy. So if we know a little bit about our interest and the way we go about acquiring well-being in our careers and our relationships, well, then we got to talk for a moment about some of the top obstacles that are unique to a woman's access to the career or the money that she's going after or the sense of leadership or influence that she'd like to have. Now, these top three obstacles come to us from Professor Candida Brush. She is the vice provost of the Global Entrepreneurial Leadership Program at Babson's College. Here's the number one obstacle they found when they interviewed women who are doing well. What gets in their way are market misperceptions, meaning women entrepreneurs and leaders often have had their leadership position questioned due to their gender. And they also find that their businesses are subject to additional scrutiny due to gender assumptions about the markets that they're serving. So, for example, Stephanie Kaplan-Lewis, she's the co-founder and chief executive officer at her campus media She says, quote, we are women running a female-focused, female-at-its-core company. In the beginning, some people thought that was kind of fluffy, and they weren't sure if it was just a fun side project. 
as opposed to the real, viable, sustainable, profitable business it is, end quote. This is not the only woman who reports a similar dynamic. For example, Reagan Moya Jones, she's the co-founder and former CEO of Aiden and Anais. She said, quote, given my business was in the baby products line and I am a mother of four, I felt it gave me credibility, which was a positive. But that was only with the customer's eyes. Business people didn't and still don't take me seriously a lot of the time, despite the fact that I have worked hard. I've built a business from scratch that now generates over $100 million in annual revenue and ended up being a very successful entrepreneur, end quote. So what both of these examples, and of course many more women in a larger case study here, are pointing out is that there is a lot of gender bias, a lot of preconceived perceptions about women entrepreneurs or women in leadership roles. And if you're listening to this, that's probably not news to you, right? You've probably brushed up against some bias. And I would love to hear about that. If you ever want to write me a message, please do. And let's talk about that in an upcoming episode. Now, the number two barrier is network exclusion. As in business success has typically kind of been on this who do you know basis rather than a what you know. So plenty of women are educated or have the skill set, but if they're not connected to the people that can open doors for them, it's really hard. Women entrepreneurs often experience really limited or gender-based access to networks and strategic relationships. And if you're wondering if gender balance is really that bad when it comes to networking, I want you to consider this. Among Fortune 500 companies, there are more CEOs named John than all of the female CEOs combined. This was reported by Justin Wolfers in the New York Times back in March of 2015. So in terms of who is leading, and certainly when we look at large companies, we know that it's traditionally been men, even though women are qualified for these positions. So there's a sense of exclusion from the traditional network, which we're going to talk a little bit more about and how we address that in a moment. And the number three thing that seems to be a significant obstacle for most women's businesses or careers is managing expansion with underfunding. Meaning women entrepreneurs or those who are passionate about their career are often aware of the barriers they face when it's time to start up or grow and invest in themselves or invest in their business. But there's a lack of capital behind them, which creates new and ongoing challenges. So they've got to plan for and odds are incorporate more organic growth strategies, which is typically a slower process and it's difficult to manage. Now, this lack of capital can also mean that women are left figuring a lot of things out by themselves wearing a lot of hats at once, trying to run everything at home and at work because they don't have the extra money to hire people. In fact, in 2018, $130 billion in venture capital funds were invested in the U.S., yet only 2.2% went to companies led by a single female founder or an all-female team. That is significant. And this was reported in Fortune magazine back in 2019. And so while a lot of companies need to focus on how and where to grow, women entrepreneurs often have to take a more methodical approach to growth if they don't have that traditional funding model. Okay, so when we talk about some of the major obstacles for women in their careers or their businesses, number one 
It's market misperceptions of who we are, what we're actually capable of, and that our ideas, our research, our experience is valid. It's not fluffy. It's not fun. It's not some occasional side product, but we have something to offer. Number two, it's network exclusion, not being part of the networks that we need in order to get support and access to resources to do well. And then number three, it's managing expansion while underfunded. So that's the tough news, right? Probably none of that's new to you, though. (laughs) There's a good chance you've brushed up against this or seen women that have. Now let's talk about what we can do about that. These are some very specific strategies and alternate paths to success that women are using well to overcome these obstacles. Now, as I lay these out for you, I've got seven quick ideas for you here. Rather than listen for what you might not be doing enough of and think, ooh, that's the thing I need to start adding in, I want you to try something different. Can you listen in for one or maybe two of these that you're already doing? I want you to take note of the things that you're already living into. Keep them at the top of your mind, and I'll explain why when I'm done listing them. So as we talk about new strategies and alternate paths to success for women that are working, number one is they seek to fit out rather than fit in. Here's the thing. If you as a woman in your career don't fit in, it's because you're too big for the existing model. Traditional roles were never created to contain the fullness of a fully engaged woman. See, we're not meant to just fit into traditional models. That would like being putting on career spanks every day and just trying to squeeze ourselves into a historically narrow model for women in the career world. We are made to expand the possibilities. We are made to take up space and create more room for ourselves and each other, to roll down those professional, quote, spanks and create spaces large enough, brave enough, open enough for the fullness of who you and all women really are. I want to give you an example of that. One of my dear clients runs a social media company, and she started this as a project in college. And she knew that there were some new things that could be done. And lo and behold, it took off. Now, after owning this company for far more than a decade, they're doing really well. And she's now entered that sustainability phase where they're doing great because of all the hard work she's put in. And now it's time to make sure that this company can continue to run itself for the long haul. Now, what she did here was create a different way of offering social media support to large companies. And that is what allowed them to do so well. So in a saturated market like the social media field, where it seems like every other person claims to be a social media advisor, rather than competing with everybody, They created their own unique relationships and their own way of doing business for their clients. She didn't try to fit in. Rather, she tried to fit out. Number two, women who are using new strategies and finding successful alternate paths, they know how to leverage their personal experience. So let me be clear. When I talked about Spanx just a moment ago, I was not trash talking the business because we've got to recognize the founder of Spanx, Sarah Blakely. This successful woman-owned business identified a need in shapewear and created a business that manufactured clothing that would shape the body. 
because they knew that it was something that women were looking after. Based on her own personal experience, Sarah Brakely knew what women were looking for, and she also knew that the existing products on the market were not cutting it for them. Now, she had a really hard time in the beginning gaining traction with investors for the reason we mentioned earlier, the misperception that women don't know or aren't qualified about what they're focused on in their careers. But it turns out that that company that she founded, Spanx, today it's a multi-billion dollar business. So the female demographic really presents enormous potential for business growth as women have a significant purchasing power and we have the opportunity to leverage our personal experience and really serve the emerging needs and trends for female consumers or for other markets that we're close to that aren't being represented yet. All right, number three, here's what's working for women. They play the long game. (laughs) Rather than looking for quick fix solutions that might not serve us in the long term, women are great at leaning back and looking at the big picture. I think about, for example, back when we had our housing market bubble burst, when we had a huge economic recession in 2008 was where things really started to peak. All of the banks in Iceland folded. Every single one with the exception of one bank. And that bank was run by women. And those women, when they started to notice a lot of loans coming out for houses that didn't make sense, they made a decision that was contrary to what everybody else was doing. Number one, they decided that if the fine print in mortgage documents just didn't make sense to them, they weren't going to sell them to their consumers. They were going to make sure that they took care of the people, the folks that banked with them, and they wouldn't sell them a mortgage that didn't make sense in the fine print. And number two, they also decided that they weren't going to give mortgages to people that they knew wouldn't be able to pay for them down the road. Now, in the moment, that meant that they missed out on a lot of money. These other banks were pulling in huge bonuses and rewards for the folks working for them. So they looked great on paper, but it was built on a shaky foundation. And so when the rug was pulled out, when the bubble burst and every other bank closed, it was the woman-owned bank in Iceland that was able to keep their doors open. They were playing for the long game. Another example of this outside of the world of business is Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams is a tremendous role model on a lot of levels. But what I want to point out is that when Governor Abrams lost an election years ago, she could have doubled down and come back and fought again to win the next election. But she knew that there was a bigger issue at play here, which was that black voters in her state of Georgia and the United States were being kept away from the polls. There were segregation practices in order that were limiting their ability to vote. And so she knew she had to look at this in a long-term way and that she had to make sure that all Georgians had access to the opportunity to vote if she wanted to have a chance of winning and watching other black, brown, or indigenous folks have an opportunity to win elections in Georgia. And that is exactly what she did. And it was her work and the work of many folks like her in the state of Georgia and across the country that helped us Make sure that fair voting becomes the norm. And of course, we still have a lot more work to do there. But this is another example. And it was, it was her work that pioneered the ability for the United States to maintain its democracy in the 2020 election. So her work both served herself, but also certainly her community, her state, our country, and our globe. 
What we're seeing here is women look at their careers and the decisions they're making, the businesses they're building as a marathon and not a sprint. This leads to more organic growth and things being more sustainable for the long term. Now, here's number four of what is working for women in terms of sustaining great growth. They stop trying to be the solo hero. Rather, they begin to build a trusted team. Now, when I say a trusted team, it's easy to think about this in a business about maybe it's time to hire somebody else to do your marketing or somebody else to help with administrative work. And yes, absolutely true. But there's lots of ways to build a team. Like, for example, for a lot of women who are career motivated, rather than hiring an assistant at work, and especially if you don't own your own company, if you work for somebody else and you don't get choices over hiring an assistant, it might be time to hire a personal assistant first, meaning somebody who just helps out for five hours a week or does one specific task for you, like they pick up the dry cleaning or the laundry. Or I also think a lot about the unofficial assistants (laughs) that I employ before I could hire folks to do things to help me out. For example, the app that does the grocery shopping and delivers for you. For that $5 you might pay in service fees to order your groceries, you might save two hours of going to the grocery store, doing the shopping, and coming back home. So where can we stop trying to do it all. Women who do well understand that it is integral to our business and to our careers to invest in other people to make sure that we have the support we need. We stop getting our validation from telling ourselves the story of martyrdom that we have to do it all and we begin to allow ourselves to incorporate other people into our success. In this way, we model for all women that nobody needs to be entirely self-made, rather that we all do well when we have the support we need. So along those lines, to be even more specific, I want to delineate that number five is about asking for help and stopping equating work with worth. So if number four is about not trying to be the solo hero and hoarding all the work and thus all the praise for yourself, Number five is about actually receiving the help that's offered to you. And specifically here, I'm talking about things like mentorship. When Deloitte did a survey of 400 women and asked them, when you consider what is required to move up in your organization at this moment, what causes you to question whether you want to progress or not, 26% of women say it was a lack of formal mentorship programs. And 24% of women said it was poor or no role models at all. And what we're seeing work for these women is not necessarily waiting for mentors or mentorship programs to come to them, but rather reaching out and creating their own mentor dynamics with the people that inspire them. This can take on many forms, but just informally making sure that you are connected to somebody who's two or three steps ahead of you in the direction you want to go, that you're scheduling an informal coffee date with them or a Zoom call or a phone call to talk about what's working for them and to gleam some advice that you don't have to figure it all out yourself. And I'll give you an example of what this can look like here in a moment as we talk about the number six way that women are using new strategies to sustain their careers and do well, which is that they're networking simple and open. 
And here's what I mean when I say simple and open. Because I personally think, and this is just a matter of personal preference, that traditional networking events are the worst. (laughs) The last thing I want to do is be thrown in a room with a bunch of hungry people who all want something or who are all looking for a leg up and have to schmooze and talk. And I know that that's an unfair generalization, that there are exceptions to that, but it's not my personal go-to place. However, what we're seeing work really well is these simple open dynamics where we are connecting to a few people in a very simple way that are part of different types of communities. That's the open part. So simple means just looking for a couple events or a few people to hop on the phone with one at a time. And the open part is making sure that those people are not all necessarily just within your industry. Because here's what's been proven by David Rock. He's the founder of the Neuroleadership Institute as he studies the way that organizations and leaders create networks. Is that if you throw a bunch of strangers into a room at an event, odds are that over a little bit of time, similar people are going to be attracted to one another. We call that homophily, right? Where it's like, like finds like. You kind of find your people. And the next thing you know, those pairs start to introduce each other to alternate friends. And we form our own little cliques, these own little microcosms, these own little cultures of people. And then these cultures can accidentally become polarized echo chambers where there's so much homogeny, where there's so much of the same idea being shared that it's just going round and round. And we're not getting looks at new ways of creating problem solving. We're not seeing new opportunities or fresh perspectives. Rather, we can get rather isolationist with the way we see things. And we certainly see this happen in the political world. Absolutely happens in our professional and personal lives too. And so what we're seeing be a lot more effective is to make sure that we are being open to people from different industries, different ages, different gender identities, different orientations, different walks of life, different world experience or professional expertise. Michael Simmons wrote an article about this for Forbes, and he outlined all the ways that being part of open networks benefits us. But here's one main obvious takeaway, is that it gives us a more accurate view of the world and the ability to respond to things in both a more accurate and timely manner. Because we're able to pull information from different and diverse clusters So that, A, if there's an erroneous piece of information and where things are not accurate, we're more likely to spot it. And B, we're able to see things happening in real time with fresh perspectives because we have more access to information, people, and resources than those who are stuck in a closed group with only its own specific resources. And hey, (laughs) why not have more resources when possible? So here's that example I mentioned earlier, because it really ties in two things, both mentorship and an open network. I make a point to be connected to people from all different professions, all different walks of life. A, it just really lights me up. And B, I learn all sorts of new things. And here's an example. I was talking with somebody recently, now that we're in the sustainability phase of messy and magnificent where it's no longer about getting our first few listeners. We've got this amazing community. And now it's about how do we continue to bring you content and conversation that really nourishes your career and you personally. And this particular mentor of mine is at least 30, 40 years my senior and is a lawyer. So works in a totally different field. And 
he was saying, yeah, what might you do? You know, what's, what's one of the parts of the podcast that's really time consuming that you might be able to streamline? And I said, you know, part of it is the research. I love <laughs> the research in these episodes. You know me, I'm all about soul, but I love the science too. And I said, I love doing the research, but it's incredibly time consuming. And he said, you know, lawyers, we have junior lawyers or paralegals that help us do the research. Is it possible if there's somebody out there that could help you pull together some of the research for your episodes? It had never occurred to me. I wasn't not asking for help with this because I was trying to do it all myself. It had just never occurred to me being new to podcasting that I could hire a researcher to help with our episodes. But that was exactly what we set out to do. And thank you, Aaron, if you're listening. Aaron is our researcher. So now as we look at, okay, what is our theme for the month? I can say to Aaron, hey, get me a list of a bunch of articles around this theme and a top few books and the top few guests that you would recommend. And then I can go through that much shorter list and compile that with the data that I have. And it saves me countless hours. So now I get to focus on being right here with you. I would have never had that idea if I was just talking to other coaches because A, most coaches don't have their own podcast. This came to me because of a mentor who was also in a totally different industry. Here's the last way I'm going to share with you for today about how women are navigating these obstacles really successfully. Ready? They understand that we all rise well together. So they are buying from women-owned businesses. They are supporting female entrepreneurs. And this helps us all scale more quickly and when we help one another. And I really like this because this is something that everybody can do regardless of gender identity. Anybody can support a woman-owned business or a woman in her career or a woman who wants to go to school. Because as we spoke about at the top of this episode, when a woman does well, she helps other people too. So an investment in women is an investment in all of our economies and the growth of all industries in all fields for all of humanity. As we start to wrap up here and we look at some of the takeaways, did you notice if you're doing any of these seven things that women are having great success with when it comes to sustaining their careers? Are you already aware that we rise well together and so you're supporting women-owned businesses or women who want to have careers? Are you networking perhaps in a simple way, in an open way? Are you asking for help or receiving it when it's offered to you? Are you building your trusted team and not trying to be a solo hero all the time? Do you think about the long game? And even if it means making tough choices to make sure that you're setting yourselves up for more than just this moment. Are you leveraging your personal experiences? Are you letting your own life be part of the information that you use to make your decisions or do well in your career? And perhaps are you seeking to fit out rather than fit in? If you are, I want to know about it. I want to hear how you're tending to this area because if you're already good at something or you at least have a little bit of practice, that is a great place to just turn up the volume. So then rather than starting from scratch, you're just going deeper into what you already have some tracks laid in the sand for. So tell me about it. What is one part of this episode that is landing for you? Leave a review in iTunes. That is one way of helping this woman-run company do well. Or send a voice memo over to Anitza at everybodythrive.com so I can give you a shout out on an upcoming episode. 
Because remember, you thrive through nourishment, not punishment. Keep taking care of what you value, including connecting to the people who are going to support you as you keep on rising. And I'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Messy and Magnificent podcast and being part of this dynamic, life-giving community of women. I consider each episode part of a lifelong conversation of you and me hanging out, sipping tea together, making sure that all women become richer, more nourished, and able to keep on rising. So I'll see you on the next episode next week. But in the meantime, don't forget to head over to carlyfane.com forward slash podcast to get the full show notes. And I've also got some extra special free resources for driven women over there that you won't find anywhere else.